Welcome to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, a foster and adoptive and bio mama and a therapist in private practice. I'm here to help foster mamas feel seen, heard, and supported on their journey. From quick, actionable steps to make your foster care journey easier to interviews with foster and adoptive mamas, the Fearless Fostering Podcast delivers education and encouragement weekly. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, and I am joined today by one of my favorite foster mama friends, Ashley Carroll. She has been on the podcast before. She is a bio mama, foster mama, and advocate, and just a great human being. So thank you, Ashley, for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me again. Yes. So I know one thing that we have been chatting about online a little bit is like the idea of when you know it's time to take a break from fostering. And I want to know first and foremost, like why was that a topic that kind of was important to, to you to share about? Absolutely. Well, I think the reason it stuck out to me is because it's often not talked about in this space. I don't see it advocated for, and it's really not something you learn about in training. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I definitely think there's a space that has this gap of information and Um, You know, there's so many of these gray areas in foster care, as we all find out once we uh, jump in. And I think this is just one of those that's not talked about. And and so sometimes I think people find themselves wondering, like, what's the right thing to do, quote unquote. And so I think that just the more we talk about it, uh, the more it just becomes part of the conversation, which I think is a vital piece to continuing to have people say yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so crazy because for me, like we kind of went in knowing this is what we're able and willing to give. And we didn't anticipate that our, you know, foster care story would end into immediate adoptions um, or not immediate, but, you know, initial adoptions. So I just, it's so crazy to me that that's how it happened. But then when we knew, like, without a shadow of a doubt, we're done after this, like, we know that we can't Like we're at what we can handle in our family right now. And so when I talk to a lot of other foster mamas who are like, there's tremendous guilt. I hear a lot from foster moms around taking a break. It almost, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know this before I became a foster mom that it feels sometimes like, it's like, once you're a foster mom, you're a foster mom. And like, if you're Mm -hmm. not actively fostering, then like they're, I don't know if that's okay. So like, I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit. And have you seen that too, as a foster mom? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think just the lack of resources around when it's again, quote unquote, okay to take breaks and when to dig in leaves people vulnerable to basically saying yes when it's maybe not a good fit for them or a good time for them. So I think the more we talk about this, the better people's yeses can be and the better they will be long-term, I think at fostering and just helping children, because there's totally a self-inflicted shame on taking breaks between placements or after a child leaves your home um, in whatever capacity that is. And no one really speaks into that. And so I think just the lack of information, um, you know, the devil always tries to isolate us. And so I think this is one of his greatest weapons in, in this ministry, because it truly is a ministry, as we all know. And when we step into a ministry and into a calling, 
that makes us a target. And so I think the devil, the devil uses this opportunity where there's not truth spoken into it to get in to us, get into our heart and then use that um, for shame and to think, gosh, we're, we're not living out our calling. We're not being faithful. We're not loving children and families. Well, when I think that's absolutely not accurate. And I feel like taking a break, spending time with your family to just, just to come back together, to have some peace. We all know it's chaotic having extra children in your home. Um, it just is. It's just part of it. There's more to do. There's more people to feed. There's more activities to do. It just, it ramps up. And so I think having that space for your family to come back together to basically, I feel like too, like reunify in your mission and have that peaceful time of rest, I think is absolutely necessary. And I think it is, I know it's what has allowed our family to continue to say yes to placements because it's something my husband and I were very well mentored when we got started. Our foster mentors were very kind and generous with the hard truths of foster care. And one of the things they told us was you guys need to be on the same page when your kiddos leave on what that looks like for you guys. Like where is, how's your family doing? Take a pulse, see how things are going, take the time you need, and then continue that open communication so that you know when you're ready to jump back in. And we all know ready is also a theory and like, you know, no one's ever ready. So (laughs) you can't use that as a barrier or an excuse. But I think it's really important that you use that time wisely and, and that you over-communicate in that time, it allows you just, I think, fill up yourselves again, because you can't overflow and share God's love and truth and mercy and TBRI parenting and all the things that we need if your bucket's empty. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm so thankful for you for saying that. And I would love for you to share about how your family is kind of recalibrating right now, because I know you had a little guy reunify you know, a mm-hmm. while back. So how are you guys deciding, you know, what you need in this time and how are you doing that for your bio kids, for you and your husband? Yeah. So just a backstory, we've had four placements over four years, five kiddos total. And, um, after our first placement, we were really just like, what, what happened? What is going on? And so that I feel like was a time that we really over-communicated and poured into each other and our children of like, okay, is this sustainable for our family? And we realized we took two children then and we realized, you know what, at this time, our kids were five and three at the time. We were like, maybe this is not the season for us to have multiple kiddos. Maybe, maybe what our, our best yes looks like is, is, is one child. And so that was just communication. My husband and I continued to have, and we had to be both honest and open. Um, We had to be prayerful and we had to, you know, kind of, ask Jesus where to push and pull, you know, because I was like, I want to take all the kids. And my husband's like, that's cool, but that maybe doesn't work for our family at this time. (laughs) And so I just, you know, we had to just continue to communicate. And so that was a a good time for us to realize, okay, no, you know what? One kiddo works for us best right now. We also realized we need rest after our placements. Like we go hard to love them and pour into them. We also are big proponents for family reunification. So we also try to just take that to the next level and love and care for their families as well. And so it is exhausting and it's taxing emotionally and physically and mentally from that aspect. So for us, we know 
we absolutely have to take breaks. And that's what works best for our family. Now that we've had four placements, we know those break times differ. And I can't give you a formula to say, I mean, I know some people are like, well, if we had a placement for four months, then we take a four month break, but that just doesn't work for our family. So we just keep a pulse and an open line of communication with our children and each other. Hey, and I, I also just side caveat um, to this. I love Jesus's just heart and how he pours that into our kids because our kids are always the first ones ready to say yes. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's such a special gift that Jesus, I feel like has given me as a mama just to see them and their excitement and their willingness to just jump back in, you know, and just to love so well. And they definitely have times where they're like, oh, they, they can go home now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but they're usually honestly, truly ready before my husband and I are. Mm-hmm. And so they even push us to be like, okay, are we ready? Can, can this be a best yes for us right now? So our, our last little guy was our longest placement we've had. We had him almost nine months, um, which was the equivalent of half of his life. And so he just was, you know, stole our hearts and was in our family and, and our extended family and everyone loved him and, and his family loved him and his mom worked incredibly hard to get him back. And we were so proud of her and we connected with the grandmother and it was just, it was so good. But the last few months were so hard because we had to fight for her. We had to like join her team to get her kiddo back to her because the state was just dragging it out for really no valid reason. And and we we met with many people that were like, I don't understand. Like there's not this, there's not a valid reason. So we fought so hard with her and for her that when they said yes, he can reunify and and it all happened, you know, like 24 hours as it usually does. I just, I think finally, like let myself have emotions about it right when he was leaving. And so um, just to speak super honestly, like that really broke me. Um, and it was hard for me because I had not been caring for myself and being honest about my feelings and everything because I was worried about him and his mom. Mm-hmm. And so um, I didn't do a good job of that in that season. And so it was really tough when he left really, really hard on me. It was hard on my husband, my kids, honestly, he's been gone a year now. My kids still ask to see him and actually true story. This is so true. And I know it just sounds made up, but it's not my son literally last night has a framed picture of him in his room. And he brought it out last night of all times and said, mom, when are we going to see his name again, you know, I really miss him. And I was like, buddy, you know, I don't know if we'll get to see him again. His mom, when he reunified was so kind to us the first few weeks and then just kind of our communication tapered off. And, and that's, that's their choice. You know, Mm -hmm. this is their life and their family. And if they want to forget this hard season, then we have to respect that. So I was like, I just, you know, I was like, buddy, I know. And I was like, let's talk about like the fun times we had with them when he was here and everything. And so, like I said, just continuing that communication with them and, and knowing it's okay to talk about it and be sad and miss him. But then, you know, in the same breath, he's like, you know, when are we going to get another mm-hmm. um, bonus brother or sister? You know, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, buddy. I don't know. Mom and dad are still talking that out. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's just so great that you guys can have those honest communications about it and the continuing conversations about it. And I just love that you're making space for all their feelings and your feelings now. I mean, I think that's 
Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know really quickly about some amazing free resources for foster mamas on my website, fearlessfostering.com. I have a self-care quiz that will help you decide exactly what type of self-care you need at this point on your foster care journey, as well as a virtual retreat for foster mamas and an anxiety reducing email course all for free. Check it out right now on fearlessfostering.com. So have you gotten calls during this time when you have said like, we need a break as a family or is the agency or DCF still calling you for placements? So um, this is one thing I would, I definitely wanted to speak into because I feel like when you are looking for an agency, so in Texas, they're really pushing for people to go with uh, private agencies versus the state um, or DFPS. So when you're looking at agencies, I think it is so valuable to ask about what does it look like between placements? Like, how do you guys support families between placements? How do you, you know, what does that protocol look like for your agency? We were with an, ag- an agency when we first got licensed that we we're no longer with. We switched um, between our second and third placement. And it was night and day difference on um, so many things, but mainly support for our family. And I will say this agency we're with has been a light to us. They came to our home a few times after our child had left to check on us and check on our own children. And they wanted to just, you know, know, how are you guys? And what, how can we be here to support you? And is there something that you need from us? And they've periodically just checked in with us um, via text message or phone calls. They honestly have not called us for a placement. We told them a few months ago, hey, we're not ready for placement, but we would love to just fill in for respite. We know how valuable that is for foster families. It was for us. It is for most families. Like, how can we love our other families around us well in this time when we're not ready to say yes to a full-time placement, but um, where we can, you know, allow someone else to continue to say yes. And so we've been able to do some respite. And so that's, it's just been really sweet. And I think just so refreshing to us to not feel that like, additional layer of shame or guilt to not being saying yes right now. And even, you know, I was like, is there something we're behind on or, you know, um, CPR certified or something that we've missed in this time. And she's like, no, no, you guys are all good. Like, don't worry, no no worries. And I'll let you know as, you know, as soon as anything's coming up. So that has been such a blessing. And I think that's something that uh, people need to ask agencies when they're interviewing Mm -hmm. agencies. That's huge. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think that's something that many people would think of to ask, you know, an no. agency as they're getting started, like who would think of that, you know, that far down the road, but that's why these conversations are so important. Like you said, to be able to prepare people a little bit better to be able to give their best. Yes. But I'm, as, as I'm talking to you about this, I'm thinking of the foster moments that I've chatted with over the years. And they're one thing that I continuously hear is, but there are so many kids in need I, I just, when they call me, I just can't say no. I just, I, we, you know, we just, we're, we're licensed and there aren't enough homes. So what would you say to that? Because I think there's, I think there's a lot that needs to be said around this, but I'm curious about your, your viewpoint on this. So again, we had wonderful mentors when we started and our actual first two phone calls ever, like with our, like barely inked license in hand, um, we said no to, mm-hmm. um, and it was so hard because my heart was, you know, on fire for foster care. When you first get licensed, you're like, give me all the kids, let's do this. And so it just took a lot of prayer for us. And I know they call you and they're like, we need to know right now, but everybody can give you 10 or 15 minutes. So you need to ask for what you need. So you tell them, I'm going to talk to my spouse. 
or however you have it worked out in your family. Maybe you're a single person fostering and girl, you go girl. That's all I got to say. I mean, there's a special place in heaven Amen. for you ladies. Um, legit, I, I know you're not supposed to be like, you're my hero, but I'm like, no, but single foster moms are my heroes. So literally, oh, so I don't, can we get a, Amen. <laughs> that's real. <laughs> that's a real thing. So I think being prayerful is so huge. I think just pausing and praying, pause, ask God. And I trust that if he brought me to this place, he will continue to guide me. He may not show me the whole of it, but he's going to give me a next step. And so trusting that if I'm going to pray and ask him, he's going to tell my heart and my soul and my mind, okay, is this truly my best yes right now? The other part of that is one of the kiddos we said no to had high medical needs. I am friends with a woman who runs a support group and she found out because I told her the name of the, the kiddo that we didn't get um, that I was so sad about because I was like, oh, he's just, you know, he just really needed someone. You Don't you know, God worked it out. He went to a home with a dad who was a nurse. And I'm like, what better place for this child? So God allowing me to say no, allowed this other family to say yes, who was much better equipped to love this children, this child well. And I'm like, in that moment, I won't ever forget it because I'm like, that reminds me, my no is someone else's yes. And there will be someone who has a yes. And I don't know God's plan. So I have to trust if he doesn't light my heart up as a yes, and you know, in some way, shape or fashion, then it's probably a yes for someone else who is better equipped or in a better place or some way that God sees that I don't, thankfully he's sovereign and I'm not. So I trust that fully that if my, if I'm a no or we're a no, someone else is a yes. And so I have to rest in that. So that's yeah. my advice to, to people like pause and pray and consider what it looks like for your family for a week from now and a month from now and a year from now, because you don't know when you get on the foster coaster, we all buckle in and that's it. That's all we know. Like, you know, today and tomorrow. So you got to try your best to like, what is this, you know, visualize, what does this look like for our family? So yeah, that's, so that's good. my advice. <laughs> I love that so much. And I, I do, I think it's very important for people to kind of consider, I think it's, it's easy to have like a scarcity mindset in foster care and life in general, mm. that like, there's not enough, there's not enough. What will happen to this kid? If I say no, if I don't say yes, then who will say yes? But we don't often think of it as like, but what if it works out better for this child mm -hmm. to be with a different, I'm like, and again, that I'm not sovereign. I'm, it's not my responsibility to mm -hmm. make sure I'm not on the case team. You know what I mean? I'm like, mm -hmm. I am one foster parent that they're calling. And this is another thing too, that I think people don't talk about enough is like the solution to the foster care crisis in America is not me fostering 1200 kids. It's not, it's not you fostering 1200 mm -hmm. kids. It's, we need to have sustainable like plans for the foster parents who have already said yes. And we need more. And we do exactly. <laughs> we need more. We need the foster parents who are already in it to keep going as long as they reasonably and willingly without resentment can. And we need more. <laughs> yes. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And the, and for us, in my experience, the only way that we have been able to keep saying yes over four years time is because we have taken breaks and really cared for each other well. Um, in the times we have placements and in the times we don't, when we don't have a placement, I'll be super honest. We go take a vacation. 
We take a vacation somewhere. We pour into our own children. We say yes more to things for our own family. And it's like, I think of it like a bank account. Someone once explained it to me that way. And it's like, you know, as you're fostering children, you know, you start at, you know, a hundred dollars or whatever. And the time and energy and, and mental capacity, you know, you just, it continues to, to count down, count down. And if you don't have a way that you're pouring back into that, you're going to get down to a place that's not healthy and you're not going to be the best caregiver for that child anyways. And so you're not helping any situation. If you don't have something to give lovingly, wholeheartedly, then you're not in a good place and you have to be in a good place. Girl, let me preach it. You have to be in a good place mentally to be able to have the patience and love and joy to connect and and love these kids with trauma so well. And when you're in a space that you're not doing that, you're doing a disservice to those children and their families. And so if you have not taken the time to pour into yourself and allow other people to pour into you, Mm-hmm. That's another thing. Like our neighbors are amazing. Our village, they're awesome. They don't just show up when we get placements. They show up when placements leave. Mm-hmm. And do you know why they know that? Because I communicate to them. These are hard times for us. This is what works for our family. This is how you can best support and love our family during these, these transitions for us. No one knows how to do that. You have to equip people. So you have to speak up for yourself and your family and say, hey, we had a kiddo leave this week. And you know what? It's really hard. Could you bring us dinner? Could you stop by with a coffee? Like you have people that want to love you. And here's another thing that my pastor told me when I isolate myself and my family in those transition times and in the dark times and in the hard times, I am blocking other people from being a blessing. And I'm like, oh man, that was hard hitting for an Enneagram too, who (laughs) wants to always be the helper. So I was like, okay. I have to remember in these times where we're taking breaks, like I have to allow people to love my family well in those times too. Even though we don't, we aren't loving a child, we're still processing through things. And so allowing people to come alongside us and love us well in those times is such a joy. And it, it makes our lives richer and fuller because of it. It also reminds us to then turn and in this season, give that back to other families like respite care or you know, checking in with my foster mom friends who have court or also transitioning a kiddo. Hey, can I bring you a coffee? Can I pray for you? Like, what can I do to make your day better today? And so it's just, it's, it's really accepting love and loving people well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. Oh, yes. I love that you just shared that. Thank you so much. It is such an encouragement always to talk to you and just to hear your wisdom. And I know it has been earned by many years in the trenches. So I just appreciate you. Um, where can people find you online and follow along with your family's story? So this last year, as I already told y'all was a just tank for our family. So I kind of uh, went offline for our mental health and my family's mental health, but I'm slowly coming back um, into a space that, that I can do that in a healthy way. So you can find me and my family at faith family foster on Instagram. Um, that's usually where we share. Uh, I love to share stories. I'm not great at posting. So sorry about that. <laughs> I'm going to try to get better. Um, but really, I just love it because I love to connect with you guys. I love to connect with you, Kathleen, because I mean, girl, we just like same soul. I and I, I just, 
I just so appreciate you and the way you show up online for people, even when it's not easy for you. Um, and so I get inspiration for that. And so I just, that's what I want for other foster moms and families. Like, I just want to connect with you guys and be an encouragement to you and, and answer your questions. Like, I'm happy to do that just to be a resource. Oh, that's the best. Well, I am so thankful always that we've crossed paths on the gram and in real life. And I'm, um, yeah, just thanks for taking the time out.